Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Class Limited does not promote any host or guest individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Hi, everyone. This is um, Stephanie, the Ask Stephanie Show. We have two wonderful sponsors I just want to uh, take the time to thank. Um, Make your holiday list and check it twice with the Mayor Johnson Gift-Giving Guide. Mayor Johnson is your special education super source. And with their gift gift guide, they made it easy to shop three different ways by price, category, or specific solution. The perfect present is just a click away at mayor-johnson.com. And is your child struggling with reading and writing? If so, Read and Write Gold can help. Read and Write Gold literacy software helps improve the lives of students with reading and writing difficulties or learning disabilities such as dyslexia. The customizable toolbar integrates with common applications and includes support tools for reading, writing, studying, and research. To learn how Read and Write Gold can help your child, visit www.texthelp.com. Okay, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ask Stephanie radio show on the Coffee Clatch Network. Tonight, I am especially grateful to have on a very special guest, Dr. Jennifer Hartstein, a nationally recognized child, adolescent, and family psychologist. She is a frequent mental health contributor on many television shows, such as The Early Show, The Today Show, Dr. Oz, Kathy Lee Hoda, Anderson Cooper, just to name a few. Her Knowledge and expertise dealing with children is extremely valuable, and we should all feel very, very lucky to have her tonight on the Coffee Clatch. So I introduce to you Dr. Jennifer Hardstein. Thanks, Jenny. Hello. So our topic tonight that we're talking about is when to worry about the worrying, and this is something I think a lot of parents are very curious about. So many of our children have anxiety and fears, and as we know it's a normal part of childhood to have anxiety. But when do parents know when it's time to worry, when it's getting to that point <laughs> where it's not so normal? The worrying. You yeah. know, it's so hard because so many different things are going to spark different worries at different ages, you know. So, so when kids are one and two and really aware of parents leaving, there's separation anxiety that comes up. And, and that's normal and age-appropriate. But when it's five and six and they, you know, we want them to be able to be heading into school and into their classrooms and leaving in a healthy way and they're clinging and they can't leave and they're so afraid to leave their mom or dad's side, we have to start to wonder where is this okay and where is this not? Some kids do get more anxious like when school starts at the beginning of the year, but if by December or January we're still having some of the same problems, 
that's a time to stop and step back and say, okay, maybe we need to look into this. So when the anxiety really interferes with the general daily living activities these kids are involved in, it might be time to, to take a step back and really be concerned about what's going on. Okay. And what about kids who were never worriers, but now all of a sudden they're super worriers? I mean, do you ever, do, do you see that? Do you, is that common? You know, it does happen. I think, I think pressures change over time and as kids develop, right? So, so when kids might be happy-go-lucky kids and then something happens in school where maybe they didn't get as good a grade as somebody and then they feel shame or embarrassed that they weren't as good, quote-unquote, as someone else, so then they start to worry about their school performance or maybe they were on the soccer field and they made a mistake and everybody and they lost the game and then they're, now they're going to be worried about whether or not they can play soccer the best way that they could before and they might not want to do it. So I think sometimes worries have a precipitant and sometimes it might just be kind of as puberty hits, there, we often get an increase in worry with kids too and the change okay, in hormones can have something to, to, to do with it. So we have to kind of think of all the different angles. Right, because I think sometimes that throws parents, is that they say, my kid was the best separator. She had no issues. Right. So it's like all of a sudden they're throwing them for this loop, like you weren't supposed to be the anxious one. You know, your sister was. Right, you were and now all of a sudden, yeah, exactly, you were the easy one. What right. are you doing to me? It's so I think that that's think... – I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I just think that that's something that parents are – I think that's when they get concerned, is mm-hmm. when they never thought that they were going to be anxious. Right. And what happens is, you know, the adults in these kids' lives, then kind of their anxiety increases in reaction to the kid's anxiety. And so then the kid knows the parents are anxious, you know, so right. everybody's anxious. It's kind of like everybody's all of anxiety. It's like a magnet, and everybody's just kind of sticking to one another. And so it's important to be able to take a step back as a parent and really validate the fact that this worry is there. And then work to help problem solve what the worry is about because sometimes you know we all kind of feel anxious and feel like we don't know why we're anxious and kids are no different but as adults we have the ability to have some critical thinking and problem solving skills that allow us to tease apart and peel back the layers of the onion and figure Mm -hmm. out what the reason is whereas kids don't have that so parents might really need to be able to kind of be in it so to speak, and, and say, okay, right, you're anxious, to help them cope and manage. Right, what's happening here, and, and what do you think it is? And they might go, I don't know, you know, through tears and all of that stuff, and, and you might have to mind read a little bit, or you might just have to say, okay, so you're anxious. You can be anxious, and we still have to do X, Y, or Z, so how can we make that happen? Right. So, you know, I think sometimes parents also see physical signs, mm-hmm. like headaches or stomach aches and things of you know that that they're starting to see their children changes in their children which yes. are definitely red flags. Yes. What are some other red flags and and help like how do parents know I have three kids like how do you know Mike I have a stomach ache today I don't want to school do you not want to go to the test or do you really have a stomach ache like right. how <laughs> are we know. supposed to know? <laughs> right. Well the fact is I think that's the hardest part and that's why anxiety very often gets missed in younger kids very early on because mm-hmm. it does come out in much more psychosomatic, you know, physical ways. So there are a lot more stomach aches or not feeling good or having a headache or just general that kind of what I would call like that logy feel, you know, just there's general malaise. They just don't feel good. Yeah. And, and it is hard to say, okay, 
are, what's going on today? Oh, right, you have that spelling test. Spelling's hard for you. You don't like it. And I think sometimes you might just have to accept that the stomach ache is the stomach ache. But let's say it's every Friday the stomach ache shows mm-hmm. up, and every Friday it's the spelling test. You're getting clues, and and I certainly see a lot of kids in my practice who we all get the Sunday night blues. But really, Sunday night is very, very challenging for many kids that I see in my practice. That that I think adults get the Sunday night blues. We all get the Sunday night blues. <laughs> right. And it, but I, I can tell you, I have more kids that I get the emails or the calls of there's a meltdown or there's a, you know, or, right. or there's this real increase in dysregulation of emotion and frustration tolerance is nil on a Sunday night. I don't get the right. same calls on a Wednesday night, you know, and I think that that's, makes a lot of sense. I mm-hmm. could see, and I look. I think I believe I mean, that I have the, the stomach aches are real. <laughs> like you believe that the stomach aches are real, correct? Right. No, they are real. There is yeah. a true stomach ache, and and I think the other thing to think about is if the stomach ache is there, and then the the, the agreement is you don't have to go to school, and the stomach ache goes away. Right. Now you have more then. information. Also, I okay. believe there's a true stomach ache. I mean, think about it. When you're really stressed out, when I I know for myself, when I'm really stressed out. I get stress headaches. It's a real headache. I'm not, it didn't make it up. But it's it's also when I can figure out how to do something that's relaxing or, or some self-care, my headache goes away a little bit. Right, and that's a sign to and say it's actually you're not of, sick. That's an mm-hmm. important sign I think parents need to take away right. is to say if those stomach aches or headaches are going away when you say, okay, you don't have to do this, well, then you're not sick. You, right. Then you've actually then made it's bigger, yourself It's a bigger sick. issue, right. It's a bigger right. issue. And the fact is, is that why does it go away? Well, it goes away because I was anxious, and now the thing that I was anxious about is taken away. That gives me relief. Right. So avoid Now, I have a question. Relief. I'm curious. Yeah. What is your opinion on, like, giving kids, like, a Tums or, like, almost like a placebo and Tums are not a placebo it's not right. a tic-tac but like something that like they're going on a sleepover they get the nervous belly when they're going so packing them a little Tums to say you know what you have it in here if you mm-hmm. need it what what's your opinion on that I I, I've done that before yeah, it's not I, it works for right. me. <laughs> and it's well you know basically what you're talking about is some sort of you know the best way to describe it is kind of like a transitional object that allows them to hold on to something of you that's saying, well, mom gave me this to take care of myself, and that makes me feel better. And, right, and which I don't even, they never ability. use it. I just think they want, like, they want to know, like, it's there, like, oh, at home we yep. have Tums, so, like, if I have a bellyache, I have one in my bag if I need it kind of it's, a thing. It's a, it's a safety net that says, I have this, and this is a piece of my parents that lets me go and feel safe wherever I'm going to be. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You're not giving them Valium. You know, you're giving right. Tums, which is really, it's medicine, and it's not a big deal. You know, so... So I think that you're not like handing them out, sending them off with you know anti-anxiety medication. So I think whatever right. might work, that's a little bit of a transition option. Why do kids bring their stuffed animals to a sleepover? It's the same thing, but you right. hit a certain age where it's they can't go to the sleepover with the stuffed animal, but they're still anxious about going to the sleepover. Right. But, but so the at least having something in their back pocket feels. Right. Okay, good. It provides a little bit of safety. It does. I think it does. I think kids want to feel like they're in control. But that's the thing about anxiety. Anxiety ramps us up and, 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 and it creates speedy, racy thoughts that are often very negative. We don't have, and we, we, the anxiety that's positive is like anticipatory anxiety. It's when we're, we're excited because we get, you know, because I'm 10 and I get to go see One Direction. Like, I am so anxious and excited. That's a positive anxiety. But the anxiety we're talking about is like worry and nervousness and, and that negative 
predicting negative outcomes kind of anxiety, which is an automatic reaction. Right. And and we can, and it's and as adults we've learned how to problem solve and pull it back. And even as adults we're not all successful. So whatever. Well, and I'm of, just curious, like talking about adults. Yeah. Do you see a lot of this as hereditary? Do you see a lot of anxious parents? Are they putting it on their children, or are they <laughs> nervous because their parents? Like, what, what do you what do you I think? I think it's both. I think it's a nature nurture argument, right? So I th- I do believe that people, you know, and we know people with depressed parents tend to have a predisposition to being depressed. So kids with anxious parents are going to have a predisposition to being anxious because that's the environment, and it's also their biology. So both things. You have a a kid who's a little bit more anxious, but in a really calm house not going to be as anxious as a kid who's in an anxious right. house and is an anxious, you know, kind of biology. So it's all about it learning sense. the skills to navigate it more effectively. Right. And and having a calmer home would make sense that parents, mm-hmm. you know, the, the influence is there no matter right. what. Right. So, okay, in just getting into specific anxiety, and mm-hmm. for anyone who's listening, we definitely want to get to a good portion of the interview to talk to um, Dr. Hardstein about the um, unfortunate tragedy with the shootings at Red Hook. So we're going to just talk a little bit specifically about some anxieties, and then we want to get, we really want to talk to you about how to talk to our kids about mm-hmm. this. So mm-hmm. let's, we're going to talk a little bit more just about specifics, and then we'll get there. Um, school anxiety, okay. Mm-hmm. Parents put a lot of pressure on their kids today. I have heard from people, I was tweeting this week with a lot of different parents that you were coming on and people were writing me and saying, like, for instance, the pressure today, and and they've stepped up, I know in New York State, they've stepped up the curriculum. My first grader is doing work that, he he could be in third grade, you know, all of, it's just my third grader is doing work for an hour and a half homework, the stress and pressure that these kids feel, and that their parents feel that they need to make sure that it's being done. It's definitely, it's it's not a relaxing, it's not a relaxing environment for anyone. So, and I, one mom had wrote me and said, her daughter gets a, a 98 and is stressed out. And I said to her, mine does too. Right. <laughs> she is upset if she doesn't get, you know, the, the, the bonus point. What are we what are we doing to our kids? What, <laughs> I mean, uh. you know, I mean, they have to go to school. This is the curriculum. And they're stressed out, and they have to get this work done. We want them to have time to do their dance and their sports and their, you know, their music. What what do we do for them? Right. Well, you know, the, the first question is a very loaded question, you know, what are we doing to them? And, and I think that um, there is so much pressure to succeed, not even necessarily coming from the home, you know, but coming from the school, coming from the changes in curriculum, coming from their friends. Yeah. Coming from this belief that in order to be successful, I have to finish, I have to do well in school, and I have to go to good college, and I mean that message is drummed into our kids. I'm sure you're oh one every day. If you know, it's that. now it's ninety. You know, yesterday is ninety, is today is eighty. Right. You know, like right. it's just it's every day that they're hearing this, and it doesn't have to come from you. And so I think the fact is that systemically, it's a much bigger problem than we can even discuss because we're we're putting so much pressure that kids are burning out in eighth grade. You know, so they hit high school, they just don't care anymore. Or, right. you know, they're just so overwhelmed that they're, they're, that anxiety starts to brew of, well, I have to succeed and I have to be the best. And, I, and it's like this, like, racy, racy, automatic thinking kind of a behavior that it's so hard to counterbalance because you can say, well, look, do the best you can. It doesn't matter. When, in fact, that's not 100% accurate. You're right. And right. So, so the fact is, is that 
what does matter. And I think the way to counterbalance that a little bit is to figure out, well, what does matter? And and really listen to your kids when they say, you know, I'm just so tired that I can't play soccer today. I just need a day off. Then, you know what? Is it the will they be letting the, down the team and is it not the best way to do it? Maybe. And we as adults, you know, we, just to keep that comparison going, if I need a mental health day, I can call into work sick if I so choose. We don't really and, and you know kids. what? So I think the message to parents is, you know what? Kids sometimes need sometimes a break. Sometimes they need a mental health day, and sometimes they right. need a break. And and that's not to say that you're in, enforcing the anxiety, because I think that's a different. We don't want to promote avoidance of things, but sometimes downtime is necessary. And most kids today have very little. You right. Know, and looking at their child and knowing when enough is enough. Yep. I mean. There are times where I'll say, you've studied enough. It's done. Yeah. You know, you have to put your book down. You yeah. have to You have to go watch TV for 20 yeah, minutes. Yeah. You know, well, that's just important. Something. That's really just important. Just to, to relax. To have an end time, to relax. You know, kids should come home from school. They have their after-school activities. There should be a half an hour of just, like, you don't need to walk right into your room and study. You know, sit and read a book or play on the play a game on the computer or watch TV for half an hour or stare into space if that's what you want to do or run around with the dog in the backyard, whatever. But just right. to have a transitional period, and there needs to be that period before they go to bed, too, because, you know, if they put their book down and have to go right to bed, well, their brain hasn't really stopped working, so then they're not going to fall asleep as easily, and it's right. going to be a problem, too. Now, also in dealing with school anxiety, there are a lot of kids who are really worried speaking in front of a classroom. Mm-hmm. And that's something parents definitely voice to me also. And I think sometimes it's it's a kid or a friend or a teacher who's like, come on, what's the big deal? And, you know, some people are very sensitive to it. Some just don't get it. And it's a really, it's a real fear. I mm-hmm. mean, it is really difficult for right. some kids. It is. What do we do about this? Uh, what well, can parents you know, do? I think that, some, that it's, it's a situation where practicing together is a really good option, you know, allowing them the opportunity to practice in front of you because the the big question we always have to ask is, well, what is it that makes it so easy for some people to talk in front of other people and so hard for other people? And, and then there's all the people in the middle that just don't like it but can do it. And the kids that get paralyzed by fear then get called out on the fact that they're not doing something actually only makes them feel more ashamed, which will actually oh, yeah. make them do it less. So I think if it's if it's an issue of your kid really not being able to do it, Work with the teacher on can you call on them in class, and if they can't answer, can you just move on? You know, can you come up with a plan behind the scenes with the teacher where the the child knows the teacher is going to call on this question, so they're prepared. A cue, like a giving, cue. Yep. like having a cue. I'm going to so ask that's... you question seven. You know, Susanna, so you know to wait for question seven, and question seven is yours, so you know the answer to that one, right? And you right, and I think that's a really important. I think that's great advice, mm-hmm. actually, and I think parents. Sometimes parents are intimidated. They don't want to bother the teacher. Or sometimes parents are just, they're busy. They don't right. think to call the teacher. And I think it's really important to be involved if you have an anxious kid in sitting down. The teachers mm-hmm. want to, they want to hear from you. First of all, if you have a really smart kid, it's to their advantage to say, look, they're really bright. They just are afraid. And right. what can we do as a team to make the situation better? Because we don't want them to go through their schooling years feeling like they can't participate with the rest of the crowd. You don't want to turn them off to school so early that it becomes a problem as things move on, you know. So especially for younger kids, if they have to do, you know, little 
read a poem or something like that in front of the classroom. As a parent, too, work with them to do it in front of you, then then add, you know, your partner, then add a sibling, you know, so that they have to kind of practice it. And these aren't kids who you can just say, okay, go do it. it it's not going to work. They're not kids who can who are flexible in their thinking that way because anxiety thoughts can make you very rigid. It's an irrational thing. They don't know when it's going to come up Correct. on them. And, right. and, and a lot of reassurance, and can they stand up there with some sort of fidget toy in their hand or some silly putty so that they can kind of put their stress someplace else? Um, right, hand in their pocket, like yep. some way that they can feel like they're hiding whatever mm-hmm. th- their anxiety that they mm-hmm. need to. Is there some sort of, like, a scale that, like, parents that you use with, with kids or parents that you can say to a parent, your child has a 10 out of 10 or, you know, is something yeah. that parents, like, because I think sometimes parents are like, my kid has anxiety, but they don't know if it's bad. Like, they they're not sure... Is it bad enough to deal with kind of a right. thing? Right. Well, I think I think that, you know, it's bad enough to deal with when it's interfering, just generally, right, when it's interfering with daily life. So, so that's just something. If your kid, you know, if your child has a really hard time getting to the birthday party because they just are thinking of every bad scenario and it's interfering with their socialization or they'll avoid doing things over and over again, red flags all the way around. So sure, as a psychologist, we have some some self-report measures that can ha- really we can give to kids and their parents to talk about what the kids are feeling, what the parents observe, and they yeah. do give us some really good information on kind of how internalized this anxiety is. And um, I think it's so important with, like, it's so interesting that you say birthday party because it's such a minor thing. I think sometimes parents sometimes trivialize it's a birthday party. Mm-hmm. They don't want to go. They don't have to go. Or, you know, but the, kids get invited to birthday parties all the oh, time. Yeah. And it's not such a small thing. And not going when you're five makes going when you're eight hard mm-hmm. and 10 and 12. And I know it's something that my son, when he was younger, struggled with. And I know other children and family friends who I see crying on the sidelines and not participating. And do you bring your kids? Like, should you be bringing them when they're crying? What should parents well, do? do? Do they put them in the line of fire for other kids to see them like that? I think it's a question parents ask me when they come to meet with me. Right. I think, what do you I, think? I think that, it, you know, it could go both ways, right? We could we could say you want to be able to get them there because, as we've already mentioned, the more you avoid, although avoidance provides great relief, it begets more avoidance because we learn right. that that's what allows us to feel better. So on right. a certain level, there has to be some push to be involved. But maybe the push to be involved is, look, you don't want to go to the birthday party. Let's, You don't want to be there the whole time. Let's go and stay for 10 minutes, if that's all you can do. You know, let's go and see how long you can Drop stay. the present off. Right. Say, happy, say birthday. happy birthday. Drop the present off and leave. You know, you don't have to stay. But let's see. Maybe they'll be doing – or I'll stay with you or I'll sit in the house or I'll – you know, so whatever it might be – to just expose them to the environment. You obviously aren't going to push them to stay because then guess what? You're not going to get them to go back again. This is not going to happen. Right. And how much can you get them to do? Right. And dealing with it does help because I, I see in older children, like the the parents that have dealt with it and realize that this isn't such a trivial thing because it's, if, it's if it's not a birthday party, it's a play date or it's mm-hmm. something, the, it's, it's, they get worse if you right. shoo it under the rug and say, oh, don't go to this. Or, I mean, it, it catches up to you at mm-hmm. some point, and then your child, I think, 
I, I always say anxiety is all about avoidance. So avoiding everything in life is just then you're not living your life. So mm-hmm. it's it's a shame, and I, I incur- I'm glad that, you know, you feel like even if it's just for 10 minutes, that it's just showing up and coming instead of saying, oh, it's tough for my kids, so we're not going to do it. Right. Because I think sometimes parents think, well, it's tough for me. I've had a tough week, and I don't want to go to this birthday party if my kid's going to not participate. Right. But it's sometimes it's being, I think it's important putting in the time early on pays off in the end, correct? Right, exactly. And, 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 it's, and the fact is, is that you want to create a new behavior. You have to kind of shape the behavior. You, know, you can't write your name if you don't know the alphabet. And you can't, you know, you have to learn the alphabet letter by letter. You kind of have to do the same thing when you're teaching new behaviors. You can't just say, oh, it made you nervous last time. Well, just jump in. Some people that works for, but for kids, most of the time that does not work. So it just might be, let's go up, ring the doorbell, hand the present, and we can leave. Right, because I think the parents just having that, like, just deal approach, mm-hmm. it backfires. Right, it, just, that, it absolutely it, does. Yeah. Um, so, question panic attacks, which I think is another thing that parents, can children have panic attacks? What do they look like? Are panic attacks from children who didn't deal with their anxiety early on? Explain a little bit to parents. So panic attacks, kids can definitely have panic attacks. I think we often kind of lump a lot of things into into it's a panic attack because we don't all know what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but panic attack is usually triggered either by a thought or an actual outside-of-the-body event, right? So something happened outside of us that made us really anxious, and it's really this immediate reaction to something that's fearful. And and the fact is it can just be a thought, right? I can just have a thought that something's going to happen to me if I go down to the subway, and that could send me, if that's something that makes me nervous, it's like this overreaction to an anxious situation. And what do we notice? We notice it with sped-up breathing and and in you know increased heart rate and maybe there's sweatiness and there's this real feeling of being out of control and i do and think that kids can experience that like a young child um you know it it's harder to know with a young kid certainly because of the fact that their reality not that they aren't honest reporters and their reality testing certainly is different than some of you know than others, so we want to make sure that we don't minimize it, but we want to be able to say to them, "Okay, I see that you're getting really nervous and really anxious. How about you breathe? Take some deep breaths. Tell me what's going on. What are you thinking?" Rather than just be like, "All right, whatever, it's no big deal," which is we often get into that like, "Now's not the time. Come on, pull it together." Um, right. But we have to teach them some strategies on how, the way to counteract a panic attack is to slow down your breathing and slow down your whole nervous system. Because when we're anxious, we speed up. It's just an automatic thing. Right. And, I, I mean, I've met parents who have called me because they've said my child was in the hospital over a panic attack and they're mm-hmm. 10 years old. And it's so unfortunate. And I've said, well, what have you done? I mean, clearly they've had anxiety before. And they just said, you know, we just thought it would go away. Right. And I think that that's something that parents, that they're they're hoping and sweeping it under the rug for so long that they're hoping that this anxiety is going to dissipate right. and then one day it backfires and they have this like panic attack or just this explosion and mm-hmm. then parents say oh god you know we sh- we should have dealt with this a long time ago right and i mean especially if they're with them what if they're at school or what if they're not with their parent it's really scary for kids yeah. and 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 it's really scary for parents to see too right which I think really also when a parent sees that they don't know what to do. Right. 
I had a parent who thought their child was having a peanut allergy. They were so red in the face and couldn't breathe and took them to the hospital, and it wasn't. It was they were having a panic attack. The child couldn't even express to them what was going on, and I think it's a cue for parents to realize not to wait and that if your child is having anxiety, that dealing with it and talking to someone is the best situation, Mm -hmm. and it's the best thing they can do for them. Right. So, um, you know, I, I do want to get into the Sandy Hook event mm-hmm. because I, I, it's something that parents have been writing to me this whole weekend, knowing that you were coming on and wanting to get your advice. And it's just been a terrible tragedy. And I have three children myself and dealing with how to handle uh, talking to your kids about this, whether they're an anxious kid or whether they're not, because I, I, it's something that I think, talking to friends, and I'm sure you ha- are getting phone calls in mm-hmm. your practice, whether the, whether you have a kid who has an anxiety issue or disorder or not, it's still, they're still going to have questions and fears and emotions over it. So I really want to talk to you and get, I want to get your opinion and advice okay. for parents who are listening, um, just just about a, I think the first question is, because I think, believe it or not, parents are asking this, is should we tell our children what happened if they don't know? So, Jen, right. what do you think? Yeah, it is, you know, it is a tough call. But the fact is, is that, you know, and Stephanie, you and I were talking about this earlier, that kids are going to find out even if you aren't telling them. Because you, they can be sitting at the pizza place and it could be on the TV and if they can read, they're going to see it. Or you have only control over what happens in your own house. So, so their friends might know about it and talk about it in school on Monday, or they might go on the computer and, especially for older kids, might be doing research on the computer and it comes up on the computer. So you can only protect them in the bubble of your own house. The second they walk out, it's on, I mean, it's all anybody's talking about. So it's on every television, it's on every Facebook page, it's on every cover of every newspaper. Yeah, and, I mean, and, I, I sat down to tell my kids on Friday and figuring I'm going to have this whole speech prepared that I had in my mind. And my nine-year-old looked at me and said, we know already. My friend told us to dance. And it was like almost like stealing my moment of like wanting to handle it the appropriate way and wanting them to hear it in the right way. But kid, this is life and kids Mm -hmm. know it. But I believe it or not, have up until tonight talked to, you know, a few parents who hadn't told their children and said, well, we're just like, have, we've been really quiet about it. My child has a lot of anxiety. School is hard for them. And we want them to, to not, we want them to go to school tomorrow. Right. We are, you know, so, but I agree with you. I can't, I, I mean, I can't imagine being in school tomorrow and a kid talking about it, not maliciously, but just it coming up mm-hmm. and, and them hearing it when you're not there. I mean, is there an age? I have an 11, 9, and 6-year-old. I have to say, my 6-year-old, it sort of went over his head, and unfortunately he was at the age that these children are, which is just so unbelievable, Mm -hmm. really, in hitting home for me. I can't even imagine him comprehending it, to be honest with you. Is that too young to tell? Well, I think, you know, the the real issue is being able to kind of tailor what you tell to the age of your child. So I don't think six-year-old, you know, six, some people will disagree with me on this, but I don't think six is too young. I think the fact is, is that 
they are still going to get pieces and snippets of information. And Especially from older siblings. Correct. Cousins, so, family, friends. It, you know, it could be – look, we know that kids are listening all the time. Right. And so even if you think you're protecting them and talking about it in another room, you know, little pictures have big ears. They will hear you. And so it may mean sitting down and saying, you know, very simply, without a lot of detail, and I think the key thing to remember for all ages is there's no need to over-talk. So it may really just be kind of laying very key. Yeah, lay things out simply and wait for questions, you know. So it may be saying, I don't know if you've heard about anything that happened over the, you know, on Friday in this town in Connecticut. And your your child might say, well, I heard something. I heard that something happened to some kids. Because you want to know what they know before you just start kind of. Okay, so asking them what they know first what do is they know? something to do. And so like your okay. daughter, right? Well, yeah, Mom, we know. We know from dance. Okay, so what what do you know? Tell me what you know. Mm-hmm. And then. I'm, yeah, I didn't. And I, I, that's actually something really to think about because we want to hear from them first before we put the words into yep. their There ears. needs to be a lot of listening before speaking, I think, when there comes to situations like this because we as adults are anxious and afraid. And just like what we've been talking about, it's so easy to take that and then put it out there. So then our kids who really might not be feeling as anxious as we think they quote unquote should be feeling we'll start to be anxious because we are all anxious. Right, very. Right? So so for a six-year-old, I think you, you want to say, you know, you might have heard or you might hear that something bad happened in Connecticut and there was a bad man who came in and he hurt a bunch of children and their teachers and it's very sad and, and you know, and just know that, that your teachers and we are all doing everything we can to make sure that you are safe and, and I just wanted to let you know that this is happening in case you hear anything about it. Right. And right. I mean, it's, it's important. But yeah, as I'm hearing you say it, I mean, it's important. And it's something that, you know, I'm going to talk to him about this before tomorrow because I just feel like he needs me to tell him before he gets on that bus mm-hmm. something. Right. I just think, you know, it's my, I was at my son's basketball game the other day, and my daughter is low anxiety. She's just mm-hmm. not an anxious kid. And we're watching the game, and she's like, you know, Mom, where's the bathroom? It was, it, it was at another school. And I said, I don't know, it's right outside, you know, right to the right. And she said, okay, uh, you know, you want to come with me? I said, no, I'm watching the game. And she said, well, I want you to come with me. It's it's in the school. And, and I looked at her. Now I'm like, oh, you know, like mm-hmm. maybe maybe this is. And I said, well, why don't you want to just go to the bathroom? Just run, you know, and she said, because somebody's going to maybe come in and shoot me in the bathroom because we're in the school. Right. And I just, it's. I literally, like, everything went slow motion for me mm-hmm. because here it is, this kid who's not my anxiety kid, who's, right. like, the easy one. She looked at me, like, in fear, and it's not a school day. It was in one of our school district schools, mm-hmm. and and really, in her mind, thought that could happen. And, you know, it, it, parents take for granted, even if you think your kid knows about it, right. they might in their mind be making up their own scenarios and they are going to school tomorrow. And as I'm sure you would agree, even kids who are feeling anxious need to get back to a routine and a schedule and need to be in school tomorrow. Right. So we need to make them feel safe and secure. And I know part of my discussion with her was saying, I want you to know that the, the, the bad man that did this is, is, 
not alive and right. he's and not able to important. hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted her to know, you know, like, you know, he's not able to do this. And, and, and unfortunately, because of what happened, we're, our schools got, you know, we got letters home and emails and things are going to be even more strict than you ever could imagine. Because which, is the, which is the other reason to tell your kids, because all of that changed. They're going to be like, why are there policemen in our school or like, what are you going to say? I wanted to hit on that. Absolutely. I mean, I think a kid who's anxious, who you don't say anything to, I mean, the security is going to be ramped up. So yep. not telling them exactly what you said. I always find kids who are, have anxiety to be extra smart. They're well, they're very intuitive because they're so hyper in, hyper in tune with their environments that they really just can read it better than a lot of other kids because, you know, anxiety makes you a little bit more hypervigilant, so you're going to be paying more attention. You know, but I think the other thing to think about is after you say whatever it is you need to say, you also want to reassure your child that you are available for questions or any concerns that they might have. You are open to talking to them about any of it. And it may come at different times, you know, so they might say, no, I'm okay now, but at 10 o'clock at night they might wander into your room when they're supposed to be sleeping and say, I can't stop thinking about this, and I'm just wondering if, you know, fill in the blank. And you have to be prepared for that. I think you also have to be prepared for things like behavior changes. So your daughter, not normally anxious, it's creating some behavior change in her. Probably going to be temporary, but it's immediately after something happened. So so we want to be prepared for that. And then, the you know, getting back to something, quote, unquote, normal, the routines that you have, all of that is really important. You know, we can't – the good people outnumber the bad people. It's just true. And although we're hearing more, you know, all these awful stories about shootings and and all this bad stuff that's happening – the good people still outweigh the bad people, you know. Right, and, I, right. and like you not. said, there are some really unbelievably wonderful heroes and teachers mm-hmm. that we are starting to hear that need to be spoke about, too, to just yes. sort of let us rest our head on our pillows at night mm-hmm. to say, wow, like this is, there are some good stories and some incredible people out there that handled this. I don't know if I would have been able to think as quickly as some yep. of these teachers, and and it's really incredible. And being able to talk about that, you're right, is really important. Right, now, and I think what that's, about the, the, kids, that's a key though? point. You know, is to talk about the good things that, even though this is a tragedy, to really and that's okay. That. Right, is to talk to them about it. Now, let me ask you a question, mm-hmm. though. Now we're dealing. Okay, so now we have those kids. But what about the really anxious kids? Who are like, I'm not going to school tomorrow. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't go. They're telling their parents. I mean, this is these, these are the kids that give their parents every single day the struggles that it's hard for their parents on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Now this happens. They're so smart. They're, do, what are these parents? Is there? Should we keep it simple? Do the parents are they supposed to keep it light? Are they supposed to talk to them? Because sometimes these kids want to talk to their parents for an hour mm-hmm. about. What are we? What are they doing? Right. Well, <laughs> what I should think, they be doing? I think you know, we know you know if you have an anxious child, and you know that this might heighten that, and think you have to kind of watch for it. And I think you need to just there needs to be a lot of. It's going to be hard not to get exasperated when you have to repeat yourself a hundred times. Right. And it's important to patient, just patient, validate, <laughs> be patient, and say, you know, hey, I know that this is scary. I know that this is overwhelming. I know you're feeling really nervous about it. And, look, everything is going to be okay. Like, we know that there are people there that are going to be safe. We know that your teachers are brave and going to take care of you. And and we've just got to put one foot in front of the other and get going. 
Right. And notes to a teacher if a child is feeling mm-hmm. panicky is important for parents not to, again, not to sweep it under the rug, but right. to write the teacher a little note if your son or daughter is feeling nervous. It's okay. They're mm-hmm. expecting it. Yeah. Correct? I think everybody's going to be walking. I think the truth of the matter is, is that I don't know that there's going to be one school that people aren't going to be feeling a little bit nervous and anxious tomorrow, even if in their heads they can say to themselves, I, I know we're going to be fine. They, they, I think everybody's going to be walking into school feeling a little bit more nervous than normal tomorrow. Yeah, I agree. Now, what about watching TV? Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I waver sometimes. I mean, my kids are all different ages, so I've been really careful about putting the television on. But there are parents listening tonight who have kids of all ages. Is there a rule of thumb? What's your opinion? I'm, I'm curious. Uh, you know, it's so hard, and I think the fact is, is that. Hopefully kids aren't tapping into the news where it's just, you know, inundated, 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 inundated. So I think it's a time where you're going to have to really be aware and monitor what's going on. Monitor yeah. internet. I mean, because it's not just the TV, you know. Right. The internet. The second you go on the internet, it's everywhere. It's everywhere on Facebook. It's everywhere on Twitter. Oh, I know for it, my older one in middle school on Instagram, every, I mean, there must have been 100 kids back and forth planning that they were going to wear the school colors and right. writing back and forth. So these kids, like, they have been listening all weekend they to back been. and forth postings about stories about the teachers or the kids. Or, I mean, when is it, like, I think at a certain point you have to say shut it off, you know, because I think anxious kids also are very, very – eager for information because it in some ways does alleviate the anxiety. And at a certain point, enough's enough. I know in, in our house, you know, it's like a, just to go back to like Hurricane Sandy, when I was reading the news over and over and over again, and I remember my husband looking at me and being like, okay, like just stop because it's, it's yeah. re- you're making me anxious. Uh, you're anxious. We're all anxious in the house. He's like, just like stop watching for half an hour because right. all the information that we get and what we're learning even from Friday to Sunday in this awful tragedy, the information has changed ten times. So right. so we, we glom onto the first piece of information and then that information is wrong and we're like so we're constantly eager for more. And I think the most important part is is that we're all on information overload. So it, so setting a deadline of like by this time we're all shutting down and we're going to put on a movie or we're going to read a book or we're going to do something that does not involve I like that advice so much. I think that there are pa- parents, people, women, men, that feel guilty if mm-hmm. they're turning it off. Right. They feel like they have to live vicariously through it. And if they enjoy a sense of relaxation or a book or an enjoyable comedy for a half an hour and mm-hmm. laugh, that it's inappropriate at this right. time. And I don't think so. I think that, like you said, I mean, you can work yourself up into such a anxious tizzy that sometimes it's okay to mm-hmm. just, like you said, turn off a little bit right. because, sometimes you, need you know, to... you are a parent. Yeah. You have to be on for your children. You have to be able to be a little bit relaxed for them and mm-hmm. yourself, go to work the next day. Right. I mean, well, you're so you do think it's appropriate. Piece, you know, we all want the information, but information overload can really be damaging. And so, you know, it's so challenging to to walk away, and yet sometimes that's the most important thing for you to do is just shut off all of the social media, shut off the computer, and, and do something that's, for lack of a better way to put it, like a little bit mindless because we all need that recharge. We all need to give back to ourselves. And, and 
you are then modeling for your children the importance of that too. And and that's what you need to do as a parent. You need to really model for them how to do some self-care. And if that means shutting it all down, that means shutting it all down. And I think that parent I think that people would debate on it. I think people would be very surprised and I think that they I hope that they're listening and hearing that advice because mm-hmm. I think sometimes people think there's a terrible tragedy, sort of like what you were doing with the hurricane. Mm-hmm. I got to listen to it all day. I have to have it running in my house and you know, there there are children around and there are some terrible things that they're reporting and yeah. I know I had to turn to my babysitter I was leaving for work and say you can't listen. You cannot listen to this right now. Right. Like, put it on later. But the kids, it's not okay. And it, it, the unfortunate thing is, you know, they pick up one one little thing, mm-hmm. and it's just not what you want them to hear. And unfortunately, and you and I were saying this before, is you know, here it is. You're going to even go get. Like, I took my daughter to get her manicure, and we were just. I said, thirty minutes. Let's just. We needed some. Mm-hmm. We needed to uncharge, yeah. re- recharge, and we had the television channel twelve news, and it was it just in black and white in front of our faces, in bold print. Twenty eight children, twenty eight six seven yep. year olds, and you know it's like sort of you can't get away from it even in your own home. So I think sometimes our home needs to be our sanctuary, yeah. where we have some peace and tranquility. We're unfortunately we're lucky enough to be able to have that. It's we shouldn't feel so guilty to be able to give that to them. Right, and to yourself. I mean, I think that we we are you know we have this quest for knowledge and we want to know, and 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 yet sometimes too much knowledge can actually create more anxiety. So, you know, one of my you know friends and colleagues said she was reading the newspaper with the stories and she's like, I felt like I was almost a voyeur because there's so much information available that like I just had information I didn't need. You know, I don't need to know how many gunshots went off. I don't need to know how many times these kids got. They are, right. Like, oh, I, I still need totally to know agree. that information. And because then what's going to happen, that information trickles down to our children, and then they are going to be more anxious because, like, well, could I go into the bathroom and could that be a problem? You know, could that could that happen in, in you know, like your daughter? The, that, uh, the bathrooms became, were, became places that were not as safe as we would hope. So it's a really tough thing to shut it down. And sometimes it's the best thing you can do. Right. I Give really your brain a break, do. You know? Yeah, no, I like that advice. Now, I know that your medicine is not your forte, mm-hmm. but when, I mean, we have to touch upon it just because sure. it's anxiety and it's when do people know when it's time to get to that level when it's just I, too much is too right. much. It's, it's really, you know, I think that, your first line of defense, if you're seeking professional help, my opinion, is that anxiety so often, you know, and research has shown this, can really be treated most effectively, initially at least, with, you know, cognitive behavior therapy techniques, like to really work on changing the thinking, changing the behavior, challenging the negative thoughts, really changing the cognitions as they come. And it's been shown to work with every kind of anxiety pretty much across the board. Excuse me. And then you know, if that's not working and you need a little bit of a supplement, then hopefully the person you're working with is going to say, look, there's still this mental block on getting these skills in. Maybe a low dose of a medication is going to help lift that block a little bit so that the skills can kind of sneak underneath and they can really start to use them. And and then we might be able to consider not using the medication down the road because, you know, no one wants to put an 8-year-old on medication if they don't have to. Um 
but sometimes the, the kind of weight is so heavy that you need something to help lift it enough that we can get, we can bolster up the foundation. And, and that's really what it comes down to, I think. And and so I I don't ever rule out medication as something that might be needed. And I think that it doesn't exist on its own. You know, it's not a quick fix. So we need to get right. the skills there to supplement whatever else is going on. And, and that's at its core what we need to start with. I think also when talking to psychiatrists, who are seeing children who need to be on medication mm-hmm. is that their their important point is to say that it it sometimes really helps children to do their you know to do yes. CBT and to make it just much more useful for right. them because they're just so shut down that they're not able to to do that and mm-hmm. they're not able to listen like I'm sure that is there an age where that where medicine is just I mean, what age do children even really with anxiety, what would age that parents are like, if this is too much and I need to think about this and it's still young, like is there too, what 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 age is like is there, the is, is there, minimum is there, is there age? Is there an age that's like too young? You know, yeah. I don't know that there's an age that's too You have some anxious four-year-olds, you know, that really need something. I, I think it's so dependent on... All, so many other fat, you know, the environment. What can the environment do to help support change? The the school. The, there's so many different variables, but I think that if you do a good round of trying therapy without medication and nothing's changing, then you absolutely need to go. You don't want anybody to suffer, you know. And anxiety can really create suffering. So we want to get the additional help that we need as soon as you can. I don't think I would encourage people to make that their first line of defense. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that you want to wait too, too long because it does. Where it's this last-ditch effort. Yep. Yeah, yep. because I think sometimes I notice that the mother or it, it is is one way, the father is not. Or, you know, right. sometimes they're just not on the same page. Or maybe it's the parent that's staying home with the child more mm-hmm. who sees so much of the anxiety than the other parent who comes home, you know, for one hour in the evening who doesn't really see the child in this heightened state of anxiety, even if it's even if it's not about medicine, even if it's just deciding to go to see a therapist, mm-hmm. I think sometimes parents do have a uh, wait for the last minute for that as well. I think right. they don't want to admit that their child needs to go to therapy. There's still such a stigma attached right. to it, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and they're waiting and waiting and waiting. And do you ever just get parents that come to you because there's just like a minor issue and it's not such a big deal, but they just want to work out a problem? Like, don't you think that's okay too? Yeah. Well, I think the fact is we, we often, we live in a very reactive society, not a proactive society because of the stigmas that exist and because of the cost. I mean, let's be honest, it's not a cheap endeavor. Um, right. That's so, true. So, you know, so I think that that also is, is part of what keeps people from sometimes seeking the help that they might need. Um, and so I think all of those things are, are really challenging and, and parents do, you know, if parents could afford to be more proactive or if we could create programs that teach better kind of social, social and emotional skills down the road and start those early, then some of this stuff might be preventable, you know, but it's such a challenge because there are parents who don't agree on what's really needed. You know, oh, they don't need that. That, that's not something that my child needs. They're not that sick or, well, it's a sign of weakness if they're in therapy. And I think we miss out on opportunities to get kids what they really need when they need it. Um, mm-hmm. I think so, there are some parents who are being a little bit more proactive. You know, I have 
a couple families in my practice were like the older sibling had some problems, so the younger sibling is coming into therapy maybe before there's a big problem. But because they see how much it's working. See, right. Or the, the parents know um, maybe there's some sort of stressor in the family, and so they want to put the kids into therapy so that they can work on this, how to handle the stressor as the stressor is happening. So I think there is some more of that that's happening. And it's hard because, in, you know, in a society where we need to be able to have reimbursement from insurance or we need to have funds in order to get it, people can't, they don't have access the same way they do as, I have a sore throat, can I go to the doctor prophylactically and get some medicine, you know? Mental health You're doesn't right. have that luxury still, and it's a shame. And I hope, and one of the things I really hope comes out of some of the tragedy in Newtown is, you know, to work on taking away, we don't know what the problems were with this young man, clearly with a troubled guy, we can't blame it on mental health, we can't blame it on gun, we can blame it on lots of different things, but the fact right. is that we can't say that it's only because of mental illness, because then we're stigmatizing everybody that has some sort of psychiatric issue and mental 100%. illness. 100%, so, right, which people is, are definitely upset about already. And, and rightfully so, And so let's, but let's work on decreasing the stigma of mental illness across the board so that we can get more access to mental health services and and that's just right because i think you're you're getting a lot of people now of course they're going to delve into this man and say well what what kind of help did his parents give him what medicine this that the other thing was he was this ignored and the stigma attached to that and i mean like you said I, i hope that there is some light shed on the fact that getting help and getting intervention and seeing the signs and the red flags that parents, there is no shame in getting help for our children and not to worry about when, when and if a friend or a neighbor or a family member has an opinion on it, that they, they don't, they don't count, that it's Mm -hmm. not about them, that it's about your own child and making them, you know, well, I, I think sometimes parents don't realize that we're not raising children just for just for today. We're raising mm-hmm. them to become strong adults in, mm-hmm. a, in their future right. and successful adults. Right. And I think that's something that parents have to just take. They have to take away. They have mm-hmm. to be able to really get you know get the help that that their children need because well, the more they can express their emotions now the better they'll be able to do it later and so you'll have less you know angry people and less depressed people and less anxious people because they learn the skills early we hope so that by the time they're adults they are more emotionally minded and more psychologically aware so that they can handle life better and you know not to say that we're not going to all have emotions and outbursts and all that stuff but if we can learn the skills when we're younger we are setting the stage and the foundation for ourselves for later Right. I, I totally agree. I mean, being pro, proactive parents is just the best, best thing ever. So mm-hmm. just to even wrap up as far as, um, you know, tomorrow, just a, like a one-minute advice for parents. They wake up tomorrow morning with their kids. What are they telling them when their kids show that little nervous feeling about getting on the bus? What's um, the line? What are they saying? To them? I, think, well, I think, you know, I think the key is to say, is to literally just say, you know, I know I know you might be nervous and and everybody else might be feeling a little nervous too. We can normalize it a little bit and know that your teachers are there to help you and protect you and be brave and the school's there to protect you and be brave. And I can't wait to see you later today and it's going to be a great day. 
Yeah. And really turn and it, it into something positive. Is it okay positive. for them if they ask you, Mommy, are you nervous about this too? What should we tell them that we're nervous about it? I think you can say, you know, I think I think I would probably make it a much more turn it into a global statement. You know, I think everybody's a little nervous about today. And and that doesn't mean anything bad's gonna happen. I think it's gonna be a great day. Yeah, and I, kind of move on. You know, don't get caught in the well, yes, I'm nervous, and then you have to explain, because your nervous makes them nervous, you know. So if you can kind of say, everybody's a little nervous, and that doesn't mean that, any, you know, and, and because we're all a little nervous, everything's going to be in place that everybody's going to be safe today, and we're all we're going to do our best to have a really good day. Right. So keep it simple, address it, but mm-hmm. then at the end, sort of turn it into a positive and make sure to let them know that you're excited to see them at the end of the day right. and mm-hmm. to turn, you know, almost like, distract them right like even just almost I, I don't know I, I know for me just I always like to say like what, what's going on at art though just like give me a little like it's not it's just like taking something off but like mm-hmm, sort of mm-hmm. like what about the winter concert on Tuesday you know what right what song are you singing like just to sort of retrain their brain a little bit before they're getting on the bus so that they're thinking about something positive and that thought sort of goes right. away right yeah I think that's important you know tell me one good thing that's going to happen today What's what's one Good. thing you're excited about today in school? You know, like kind of turn it into something that they can look forward to. Because, yeah. You know, we, I we think can... that's so important. I mm-hmm. think that you're right, just a little something. I just wanted parents to hold on to that one piece of yep. advice because I, I I think that they wanted it. Yeah, um, and take some deep breaths. I, you know, you are going to be nervous, and so you're going to be racy and feel like you need to fix it. And you know what, just take a deep breath and be like, you know, it's going to be a good day. We're all going to get through it. Right. Wake up a little five, ten minutes earlier. Have your cup of coffee so you're on, mm-hmm. on point. So you're ready. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I want to thank you so much for speaking with us this evening. I know you personally and professionally. You are fantastic. Thank you. And just if you could give everybody your website and sure. tell them, I know you're, where you're going to you're going to be on. We're going to be on tomorrow. tomorrow. So, so my so website tell- is drjen.com. It's d r j e n dot com. And um, we do a lot of blogging there. I actually have two websites, Stephanie. So my like kind of practice website is heartsteinpsychological.com, and we do a lot of blogging there. The associates in my practice are going to be doing some blogging there with their areas of expertise too. So um, that should be pretty exciting. And then we're going to kind of continue this discussion tomorrow morning on Hoda and Kathy Lee around 1015. I'll be on with Dr. Dale Atkins talking some more about how to talk to your kids and how to deal with the family, you know, and, and all of that related to the issue that happened in Newtown also. So, Well, thank you. This Parents conversation remember, is not over. No, unfortunately it isn't, but we are so grateful that you were here with us tonight and I want parents to remember anxiety is is unfortunately about avoidance, so do not let your children avoid their life and give them the help that they need because, you know, I think children really, they need their parents to make sure that they're doing anything and everything that they can to get them out there and and experience life. And right. having patience as a parent and giving them support is what I think parents, all parents, want. And I know I want every parent to give their children hugs tomorrow and mm-hmm. give them give them exactly what Jen said, you know, one line, um, a one line just little just emphasis, get on the bus, you're going to be okay, end it on a positive mm-hmm. note. Mm-hmm. And just, again, thank you, Dr. Hartstein, you for being welcome. with us tonight. 
we we really appreciate it. And thank you to TextHelp and Mayor Johnson for supporting the show. It was a privilege to bring it to so many parents listening tonight. Um, I know that so many of you had so many questions and comments regarding tonight's show. So if you have any other questions, please visit me, www.askstephanie.com, or tweet me. Uh, you can find me on Facebook as well. And um, tune in next month, January 20th, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, for my interview with Lee Weinraub about performance anxiety in youth sports, a topic that many parents uh, have lots of concerns and questions about and really, really look forward to interviewing uh, Lee. It's going to be an interesting and wonderful interview. So thanks again, Dr. Hartstein. Good night. Good night. Okay, it's over. <laughs>